Tonight we're going to be in the book of uh, Song of Solomon, and if you have a Bible, let's go ahead and turn there. And um, I mean, you guys, I, I know a lot of you here are familiar with prophecy and the things that we have ahead of us as a church and as a society. Um, some of you here might not know, though, what's ahead for us. And so, you know, it's kind of cool to be able to read your scriptures and know um, what's up next, um, the rapture of the church. We don't know when, um, but the signs of the times, you know, the, the cashless society, the, the increase in government control, and even just like, you know, with this whole virus, if you guys think about it for a second, isn't it amazing how the whole world has kind of been able to communicate and to cooperate and to work together, you know, isn't that kind of a, an interesting thing? It wasn't like that not that long ago. Um, I remember when I got saved, um, it wasn't, I remember before the times of the internet, you know, before the times of mobile phones, and and now the, the whole wide world can rally together. And, uh, and we know that according to Revelation chapter 13, the Antichrist is going to rise up, and he's going to require everyone to receive a mark. And with that mark, they'll be able to buy and sell cashless society. Again, when that was written, it, would, it was kind of unfathomable. But now you go to locations nowadays and they don't take cash anymore. And so to me, it makes sense. You get a little mark right there, a little microchip. Um, and then everything's there. You know, your medical history, your financial uh, uh, money that you can transactions, things like that, and just everything that's happening. All I'm, all I'm trying to say, and there's a million other things, all I'm trying to say is that we got to be ready, you know, for the rapture. It can happen at any moment. We should know better. So we need to be abiding in Christ. We need to be close in our relationship with Him. And we need to have an urgency too. You know, we want to take as many people with us to heaven as we can. And so the, the question like I would pose to you today is a couple of things. Number one, who's God been laying on your heart? Like who are the people that, you know, the Lord is saying, I want you to reach out to them. I want you to send them a text message. I want you to give them a call or pray for them or, or invite them. Who is Who are you responsible for? Because I believe the Holy Spirit will do that to us. He'll say, hey, Manny, I want you to reach out to this person and that person. And it can very easily be something that we suppress. And we don't even listen to it. We don't do it. We're like, oh, it's just me. No, it's not just you. It's God. God is looking for people who are obedient, people through whom he can speak, you know. And you can share things on social media. There's a lot of different ways that we can reach out to people. And so that would be one thing is, are you reaching out? Are you sharing uh, the Lord with people? And then the second thing is, uh, where are you in the body of Christ? You know, are you serving? You know, because a lot of times people, they have gifts, they have talents, they have responsibilities or tasks in the church. Uh, and I'm not saying necessarily it has to be in this building, but it is in the church, it is in the kingdom of God, but they're not doing anything. They're, they're not, for whatever reason, you know, and, and you guys got to be really careful with that because in Matthew uh, chapter 25, Jesus comes and, you know, he talks about how some people, they have these talents and they don't do anything with it. They just bury it. And that's the last thing you want to do. And so I know we're not worthy and I know we're not able, but the last thing in the world you want to do is stop serving. You know, you want to find out what God wants to do, what part of the body you are, and if you're not serving, then something's missing. Then something in our body is not functioning right. But when everybody catches the vision and you discover your 
gifts and your talents and where you belong in the body of Christ. And believe you me, 1 Peter 4.10 says, everybody has a gift, then you start serving, you know. And you guys can reach people I can never reach. And you guys, uh, obviously, as a team, we work together. And so the Lord is coming. Uh, there's a lot of things going on in the world today to tell us that. And so I pray that we would be ready. And today's study is an interesting study because, you know, we're talking about a relationship between a husband and a wife. And so let me just start off by saying that we, God loves families. Families are the fabric of society. You know, God made Adam and Eve, and then eventually they had children. And God knew that the best atmosphere to raise up a child is with a mom and with a dad. And, you know, it's just perfect the way that God made it. And so he wants you guys to stay together. He wants you to succeed. He wants you to have a beautiful life. Now, if, if a person, you know, then gets divorced, does that mean their life is over? Oh, no, absolutely not. God still has a great future for you. Believe you me, you just have to make sure that you keep your eyes on him, that you follow him. You know, single people here, married people here, others that are here, just know that, you know. And so the Song of Solomon, it talks about the, uh, the romantic love. And so you guys all have four uh, legs on your chair, right? Right? Okay, so what would happen if one of those legs came off? You would fall, right? Let's try it. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> so I, I think in one sense, um, when you're looking at life, um, there's, there's, there's four words in the Greek that were kind of like this stood out as far as love goes. One is the, the storge love, and that's a family love. You guys know what a family love is? It's beautiful being around your family, huh? Because they just love you unconditionally, usually, especially in your house. You're just the family love. But then you have... After the storge, you have the philo love, phileo love, and that's a friendship love. And there's something special about that, huh? So you got your family, and you got your friends, and these are the types of loves that we're talking about. Philadelphia is the city of brotherly love, right? So you got your family love, your brotherly love, but then you have what's called the agape love. And agape love is divine love. It's the fruit of the Holy Spirit. And it's when you let God work in you, and then you just love people. You know, it's when God works in you. It's when you grow in your relationship with the Lord. You know, and we're, we're part of it is being in the Word, and part of it is being in prayer, and part of it is being in fellowship, and just part of it is just being in tune with the Lord, you know, 24-7, you know, and you grow, and He pours His love into you, and then you just love people. It's the fruit of the Spirit, right? So you have the family love, the brotherly love, the divine love, which is agape, but then you also have the eros love, which is the romantic love. And sometimes I think some husbands and wives, they forget about that. And, and what I'm trying to tell you is if one of those legs are gone, if you don't have the romantic love, then your family will suffer. It, it really will. Couples will grow distant. And so um, Song of Solomon is an important book because it wants to keep families together and it wants to tell people in the world because sometimes people in the world, they think, well, that part, you know, that intimacy part, you know, that's not really not from, you know, God. And, and yet it is. It's, it's, it's completely from God. It's a gift from God. Hebrews thirteen four it says the marriage bed is undefiled. It's a beautiful gift from God. And so it's him and he knows that that's an important part of your marriage. And so if you're single here, 
basically my prayer is that you would take this to heart when god brings someone into your life these are things that you can apply and if you're married then of course it it applies to us now we need help in this area but so it, it has to do with husband and wife like that but it also is just this beautiful picture of the intimate relationship that we can have with god man this sweet fellowship that we can have with god you know in the book of ephesians chapter 5 it compares the the relationship between the husband and the wife with jesus and the church and he just says that that oneness there that oneness that intimacy that love that you can have between a husband and a wife it's 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 symbolic of this intimate love relationship that we can have with god And if you don't have it, if you're here tonight and you don't have it, I pray that you would you would just get on your knees, that you would fall on your knees tonight, that you'd open up your heart and you say, God, I want that. I want that intimate relationship with you because it's the most wonderful thing in the world. For those of you here who do have it, you know what I'm talking about. And we just want everybody to grow in this. So it's a picture of a husband and wife, but it's also a picture of the church. And um, today I'm going to share with you uh, seven things that can help you in, in your marriage. First, let me start with a chart that we have. We talked about the outline in the Song of Solomon, how in the beginning in chapters one through three, five, it's just falling in love. And you guys remember when you first met your, your, your soon-to-be wife or husband, you remember how your stomach was all messed up and stuff like that? This falling in love, the butterflies, okay? That was that part. You just were like crazy in love. And you can talk on the phone for how long? How many hours can you talk on the phone? Then when you get married, you're like, I got to go, you know? <laughs> so, <laughs> so falling in love. And then uh, we talked about united in love in chapter 3, 6, verse 5 to 5, 1. And what that is in reference to is when they actually got married. And so um, falling in love, uh, united in love. And then in chapter 5, t- 2 through seven ten, it, we talked about struggling in love and how every marriage is going to have their struggles, every single marriage. But you've got to work your way through them. And as you do with your eyes on the Lord and you show a whole lot of grace, then you're going to get this beautiful bond that's deeper than you can ever imagine. But every marriage is probably going to experience that. But then today we close in this last, last section of growing in love. Growing in love. And so this is definitely not exhaustive. This is not everything that you need to do to grow in love. But here's seven things that I want to talk about that are kind of in our text today. Uh, number one, vacations. Do we have this chart or no? Oh, yeah. Number one, vacations. So we'll talk about how she says, hey, let's go away. Let's, you know, get, you know, a a room over here. It's kind of cool. If you're married, when you get married, every once in a while, if you can, get away. Just you and your your honey. And you you go on these vacations, if possible. If not, sometimes my wife shows me grace and, you know, we'll be going to Taco Bell and she'll be like, oh, we're on a date, you know. It's like a date, you know, so something about getting away together. Number two, stimulations. And and so there's little things that you're going to notice about each other that you learn how your wife and your husband and what makes them happy. And so you got to, you know, think of, of that. N- number three, declarations. And we're going to see how basically she said, I want you to 
tattoo me on your arm, man. I want, you know, I want to be sealed on your heart. You know, it's kind of a cool thing, those little declarations of, of ownership. Number four is tribulations. And we're going to talk about how the many waters are going to hit your life. The many waters, even how they came out of the wilderness. And how, I'm telling you, like I said earlier, you're going to go through hard times. You will, but you have to endure. And as you endure those tribulations, you're going to get strong. And so we'll talk about vacations, stimulations, declarations, tribulations, identifications. Um, sometimes, you know, we'll call each other, like I have a nickname for my wife that she belongs to me. Um, we'll talk about preparations even, how if you have a young uh, child, how you can actually get them ready for marriage, how there's certain things that the family can do to help it's all here in Song of Solomon. And then the last thing we'll talk about today is contemplations, okay? So Song of Solomon, chapter 7, beginning in verse 11, it says, Come, my beloved, let us go forth to the field. Let us lodge in the villages. Let us get, get up early to the vineyards. Let us see if the vine has budded, whether the grape blossoms are open and the pomegranates are in bloom. There I will give you my love. The mandrakes give off a fragrance, and at our gates are pleasant fruits, all manner, new and old, which I have laid up for you, my beloved. Okay, so I got to tell you, this is a, a very sexually intimate book. I can't explain everything because there are kids here, so I cannot tell you everything, Okay. But So I try to give you guys the PG-13 version, okay? But husbands and wives, I encourage you, when you get a chance, you look into all the symbolism of this stuff, and it is just amazing, amazing. It, it's inspired by the Holy Spirit. So whatever you do, don't think that this type of intimate love is, is not a good thing. It's a beautiful thing when it's in the, the relationship of marriage, right? And so it's interesting. This is the first time now that we have the wife doing like, you know, going after the husband. You know, usually it's the husband. Earlier it's the husband, but now it's the wife. And so that is a lesson for wives. You don't have to necessarily always be the responder. Sometimes you can be the initiator. Right? And so here it says it's an invitation from the Shulamite. Come, my lover, let's travel through the countryside. Let's get away. And there is one teacher, Warren Wiersbe, he thinks it's the honeymoon, but all the others that I've read anyways, they, me, I, I think it's further along the lines. Because remember, they got married, they've gone through hard times. And so more than likely, it's later on down the road. Uh, and so he, she just says, let's get away. You know, let's go find a room. Let's lodge in the villages, just the two of, two of us and we'll make it exciting, basically. We'll, we'll rise early, we'll find a vineyard with lush grapes, and we'll take it all in. And even the, the fragrance of the, of the mandrakes, mandrakes and, and the scents, she says, that I've saved for you. She says, we'll, we'll, you know, we'll try new things, old things. It's an interesting book, let me tell you. And then she says, and right there, I will give you my love. And so... Um, the Hebrew word translated love here is in reference to the intimate love that we're talking about. It's the same word used in Proverbs 7 and verse 18, where uh, the Bible uh, says, Come, let us take our fill of love until morning. Let us delight ourselves with love 
that's clearly in reference to the intimate time together. The same Hebrew word is used in Ezekiel 23, 17. And so it would be the Hebrew equivalent of the Greek word eros, where we get our word erotic from, okay? So that's the Hebrew word. Um, it's called uh, dod, yeah, dod. So we know most of the Greek uh, words for love, right? But it would be good to know some of the Hebrew words for love. And this word right here in the Hebrew is, is dod. And so um, this is a, an intimate type of love. It's the same word used in chapter 1, verse 4, where it says, we remember your love more than wine. It's a beautiful, intoxicating thing, so to speak. You know? and, then, and then the Song of Solomon, chapter 4, and verse 10, same word used there. How fair is your love, my sister. I love that. My sister, my spouse, how much better than wine is your love and the scent of your perfumes than spices? You know, and some might even look at this and it's crazy how demented and twisted our minds can get. And they might say, well, Song of Solomon talks a lot about wine and, you know, books talk about wine. But isn't it interesting to me how they're they're saying these things are better than wine? You know, the love between a husband and a wife it makes it so beautiful. You don't need to get drunk. You don't need wine. You know, Ephesians 5.18 says, don't be drunk with wine in which is a wasted life, but be under the influence of the Holy Spirit. You don't need wine. We have things that are greater than wine. And that is like the love between a husband and a wife or, or the love between you and God. And so anyways, talking about this love, it's such a beautiful thing. And, and it's just divinely blessed, you guys. You got to know that in your life. If it's not present in a marriage relationship, then you need to ask the Lord, you know, to rekindle that that fire, okay? And so we we read here interesting things. Notice again, it says next in verse 1, oh that you were like my brother, uh, the Shulamite says, who nursed at, at my mother's breast. If If I should find you outside, I would kiss you. I would not be despised. I would lead you and bring you into the house of my mother. She who used to instruct me. I, I would cause you to drink of spiced wine of the juice of my pomegranates. And this is an interesting thing. Um, oh, look at verse 1. Oh, that you were like my brother who nursed at my mother's breasts. And what do you guys think when you read that? You're like, wait a minute, this is her lover, and she's saying, I wish you were my brother. Why is she saying that? And there's a couple of different views. Uh, one person says it's because she wished that she knew him all her life. You know, and that, that's how much she loved him. Man, I, I, I wasted whatever, you know, 21 years without you. I wish I'd known you all my life. There's a part of it that way. Another view is this, that in cultures like that, even today in different parts of the world, public affection is not permitted. It's not, unless you're related. So if you're related, you know, you can you know, ever give them a kiss on the cheek or whatever, on the, put the arm around, hold hands. In certain places, that was forbidden at certain times. And so there are some, most who believe that that's the case. And the New Living Translation said, if, I, if I'd known you as a brother, then I could kiss you no matter who was watching, and no one would criticize me. You know, And so um, today in the United States of America, we could do more public displays of affection, huh? Isn't it cool? 
You know how you, if you're married right now, you can put your hand on their hand. You can put your arm around them if you want to. You can give them a, a quick you know, kiss on the cheek, no problem, even on the lips. If you're married, right? Stuff like that. You can't do that everywhere. But then you see, the, the part of the reason that the cultures didn't allow it uh, in some places is because they didn't want to tempt the others that would see them doing certain things. Because sometimes you think, see things in public that you know, shouldn't be. So there is that, that balance and all that. Warren Risby stated even more than that. He said she wanted to be a big sister to him and kiss him, take him home to her mother and learn from her mother how to treat him. And I thought that was interesting as well. Look again in verse 2. I would lead you and bring you into the house of my mother, she who used to instruct me. And then I would cause you to drink of the spiced wine. And so the Shulamite continues on, and this time she speaks to the daughters of Jerusalem, and she says, His left hand is under my head, and his right hand embraces me. I charge you, O daughters of Jerusalem, do not stir up nor awaken love until it pleases. Okay, so you guys, can you visualize that? You know, his left hand is under her head, and his right hand is embracing her. You know, and, and she's just celebrating that, that romance, right? She's rejoicing in their love. But she's also warning them not to stir up those types of things prematurely, especially with the wrong person. And so I hope every brother here, every sister here, if you're single, I hope you know that you're special. And I hope you know that you deserve someone who really loves you. You deserve someone who will love you with God's love. That's why you have to make sure they're a Christian. Because if they're not a Christian, they won't be able to love you that way. But when you are a Christian, then there's at least now it's possible. And so this beautiful thing, and everyone would look at the, what a beautiful picture of love and the way this man loves this woman, and so someone might look at it and say, I want that, but then they end up with some jerk. And, and that's why she says, don't stir it up, don't awaken love until it pleases. Until it pleases who? Until it pleases God. That's the one that you want to please. And he will put people together. And it's all in his timing, you know? Um, some people, they sleep longer than others, right? That's just the way it is, man. And God just says, you're not ready yet. You're not ready yet until finally both are ready. And so the Lord will show you. Um, here is an interesting thing in the Hebrew. It's a different word for love. It's the word abada. And this is more of a broader word. And so we talked about the eros, and now we're talking probably more uh, along the lines of an agape love, right? And so, verse 5, um, we're not 100% sure who's speaking. It could be a relative or maybe the daughters of Jerusalem. It says in verse 5 of chapter 8, who is this coming from the wilderness, leaning upon her beloved? I awakened you under the apple tree, and there your mother brought you forth. There she who bore you brought you forth. And so, um, who is this coming from the wilderness? And so, more than likely, they had gone on a vacation, or maybe their honeymoon, but more than likely, they're on a vacation, 
And then they swung around to come back to her hometown. That's more than likely what's going on. And so these guys are looking at them and they're coming towards them and they're like, who is that, you know, leaning upon her beloved? And more than likely it's in, you know, some type of carriage or something like that. And uh, we see them, them coming. We're going to see now they're going to be in, the, in, her, in her hometown. And as they're there, uh, this um, wife is leaning upon her beloved. And, 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 and to me, real quick, when I read that, I couldn't help but think of John on, on leaning on Jesus' bosom. Because remember, we're talking about a husband and a wife, and I don't want to in any way take away from that. I think that's part of what the Holy Spirit was trying to give to us. But I think he's also simultaneously trying to give us the love that we have with God. Hey, let me ask you guys a question. Guys, when was the last time you ever leaned on some other guy's chest? You know, you're like, oh, you know, you're leaning into his chest like that. Most of the guys here would say, that's weird, right? But that's what John the Beloved did with Jesus. You guys know that, right? And so when you study the scriptures, it's interesting to me, uh, they had the 12 apostles and they were all chosen by Jesus and they were all used in great ways. All of them died a martyr's death in different places of the world with the exception of John who was put in boiling oil. He didn't die, but he still suffered so much. So the 12 apostles were cool. I mean, you had the 70, you had the 12. Then you had the three, right? You guys remember who were the three main apostles? Peter, James, and John, right? They were the main. Um, But within the three, there was actually one who was the closest to him. Within the three, there was one who was the closest, and that was John. You know, who else would be leaning in Jesus' breast? When you read the Gospel of John, how does John identify himself? as the disciple whom Jesus loved, right? And, and then when you look at the cross, who was there? The only, the only apostle that was there was John. So there, these things are not random. What, what you'll find in the Bible is God is sharing how some people have closer relationships to God than others. John did. You know who else did? Abraham did. You know who else did? Moses did. And you can have that too. You're as close to God as you want to be. He hasn't moved. He's there and he's just waiting for us. You know, if you can be a guy and, you know, you just know the Lord this way and you just lean into Jesus' breast, this is part of what I see. And, and it was just such a beautiful thing that the relative is like, who is that? Who is that one leaning into the the breast of their beloved, their their chest right there. And it's interesting to me, uh, again, um, when they're watching him come in, I I think, again, is speaking of uh, this husband and wife, but as she's coming back to her hometown, you know, it's interesting how he says in verse 5, I awakened you under the apple tree. There your mother brought you forth. There she who bore you brought you forth. And more than likely, that's the word's of the beloved, who's speaking now to his uh, wife, the the Shulamite. And and so I I awakened you, again, this crazy stuff. The apple tree symbolizes the place where they were awakened intimately. Now, not that they were under an apple tree, literally, 
but now they're coming back to this place. And something interesting when you read the Bible is that the, the oftentimes you would find that the, 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 when they consummated the marriage, that they would bring um, them into their mother's chambers. It's an interesting thing. You'll see it even here today. And, and, and this, they're kind of coming back to this place, and they're like, hey, that was when you know, we, were, we were here, when we were together. And, and so uh, you'll see that uh, throughout the scriptures. Something else, just on the concept of being awakened. Because you, you look at them being intimately together in a definitely a special time, but also you can take it further. In Bible Knowledge Commentary, they said the awakening is a metaphor for, for new life, or, or rather a new way of perceiving life, which her love had brought to him. Much as he was the product of his parents' love and was brought into the world by physical birth, the lover had now received a second birth or awakening through the love of his beloved. And so there is a, a, a love, like when you're, the love of your life comes into your life, there's like an awakening there. And what's true in human relationships is also true in our divine relationship. I think we can even take it a bit further and talk about the, how, how we're born again. John chapter 3, verse 3. Unless we're born again, we cannot see the kingdom of God. And then we were dead, and, you know, whatever. We were, we were sleeping. We were out of it. And God just, just woke us up. You know, that's what happens when you get saved. All of a sudden, you're aware of spiritual things and this whole awakening thing. And so we're going to talk a little bit about how you know, you go back down memory lane. And you, do you guys remember when you got saved? Do you remember? Some of you, it was a day. Some of you, it was a season. But it's a special time that we should never forget. You know, one thing before we leave here, in verse 5 again, it says, Who is this coming up from the wilderness? Now, now later on, we're going to talk about how the many waters are going to come against you. But right here, when they're talking about you know this whole thing coming out of the coming up out of the wilderness, it, it has to do with the fact that sometimes we go through those difficult times, those seasons of life, you know, the the wilderness of life. You know, for Israel, remember how they got set free from Egypt, and then they went into the Promised Land. They went through this wilderness, and it was tough. It was hard. You know, they, they had a hard time with everything, man. It was a difficult 40 years of wandering in the wilderness, right? And then when you think of uh, the, the, the wilderness of Adam and Eve and the curse that they experienced, but then God brings you through. And I know for my wife and I, and I know I've talked to many married couples, you know, when you, sometimes when couples get hit hard, they end up going their separate ways because they're just not really able to take it. But what we're, when we're going to talk about this more in, in just a second, you know, if you can weather those storms, if you can knit, just always tell people, the only way you lose is if you quit. Don't quit on the Lord. You know, and so we'll talk more about this, but when it comes to marriage and growing in love, number one, vacations. And so get away. Number two, uh, stimulations. Find out what pleases one another. 
Number three, uh, declarations. And we're going to talk about how he, if she even wants to seal him on her heart in just a second. Number four, tribulations. The difficulties, they're going to make you stronger. They will. And then number five, identifications. Look at verse six right here. It says, set me as a seal upon your heart, as a seal upon your arm, for love is as strong as death. Jealousy as cruel as the grave. Its flames are flames of fire, a most vehement flame. Many waters cannot quench love, nor can the floods drown it. If a man would give for love all the wealth of his house, it would be utterly despised. And so she tells him, set me as a seal upon your heart, as a seal upon your arm." And so a seal, you guys know in those days, was used uh, as a symbol of uh, possession or, or ownership, uh, identification. Even if you were mine, then I would be obligated to protect you. And that's what she says. Not that husbands or wives, they necessarily own each other in, in going over certain boundaries. We're all free, and it's a beautiful thing when you have that type of relationship. But you know how it is where, hey, you're mine, and I'm yours. You know, Shelly wants me to get a tattoo right here. La Shelly right here on my neck. And, man. <laughs> and then there's no mess. You know, everybody knows, man. All right, she's his or whatever. And she'll probably get one of me one day, huh? I don't know for sure. But, you know, that's kind of what, what, what we're seeing right here. It's a beautiful thing, this declaration, you know, this identification. You know, knowing that. I mean, it's kind of crazy, but I think some guys they don't really like take that that to heart you know like i love you that you're mine i'm going to protect you god has brought you into my life so i can take care of you and i always think about that with my daughter i just want someone to take care and i think of that with my wife because i feel like okay she is god's daughter and so i want to take care of her you know i've been entrusted with her and, and we need to see it that way. Center as the seal on your heart, you know. And so it, it's, I don't know, you can, you can look in your heart. Is she the one that's there? Is she there? The love of your life, is she there? And then on your arm, why the arm? Well, probably because the arm would be more visible, but then the arm was symbolic of strength. And it's interesting even how it says right here, as a seal upon your arm, for love is as strong as death, you know? And that's an interesting statement as well. You know, it's as strong as death, jealousy as cruel as the grave, it's flames as flames of, of fire. And, and, and that saying that love is as strong as death can be either a positive statement or, or maybe a, a negative statement. You know, like if you're not, like making your wife or your husband, you know, feeling secure, then they, they're going to probably end up, you know, in those jealous fits. And, and that can be a really ugly thing, right? And then breakups take place. And then unfaithfulness can happen. And it's heartbreaking and sometimes even fatal. And so it, it might, when it says love is as strong as death, it might be kind of like painting it in negative light. But more than likely, it's talking about the way true love keeps us together for the rest of our lives till death do us part. 
You know, and that's such a, a cool thing to have that marriage vow. Better for worse, richer, poor, sickness and in health. You know, till, till death do us part. You know, I love the vows in Ruth where it says, Entreat me not to leave you or to turn back from following after you. Wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God my God. Where you die, I die and there will I be buried. The Lord do so to me and more also if anything but death parts you and me. And some guys, they forget the vows that they made. You know, they say, I do until I'm done. And then I do until I find someone else. And No, we, we do until we die. You know, it, it has to be in our heart, you guys. It has to be true love. It's got to be deep, deep love. Your, your wife, your husband, they want to feel secure and validated. And that when, that when that's there, that love is so beautiful and is so strong. And there would be no reason for jealousy. Look at verse 7 again. Many waters cannot quench love, nor can the floods drown it. And so you guys know we live in a fallen world, and so things are going to happen. Uh, you, you know, you lose your job, you lose, you lose your house, you, you lose your health. Um, you whatever someone gets struck with some type of depression or anxiety or maybe even a, a child dies i mean there's things that happen in life because we live in a fallen world and so many waters are talking about those tidal waves when they hit and, but it says right here that many waters cannot quench love nor can the floods drown it and so that's what this book is all about the book of solomon song of solomon is all about this love relationship that husband and wife can have that is so strong and so beautiful and when you're together as husband and wife do you know what that does for your children and so many waters they won't quench it but it's also the waters you know that god has uh, he'll, he'll, he'll carry us through. And when we get through the book of Isaiah, you guys are going to see some really cool verses there, how God is going to be with us through those difficult times. But I have a picture I want to show you guys. And forgive me if you've seen this before, but I just love this uh, illustration right here. Can you guys see that? Um, this was uh, after a crazy um, hurricane and all the other houses fell except for that one. You guys see that? A crazy Hurricane Ike and had, had, had hit this area. And so what ended up happening was the previous homeowner, they, they, um, they, they said, we're going to rebuild our house to survive a Category 5 hurricane. And so they built it, man, to last. And they, when they were building it, they used all the crazy best materials and they inspected everything to make sure it was done right. Because some of the others, they thought they were ready, but they didn't really meticulously make sure that it was really done properly. And so you don't find out until the storm comes. And when the storm came, that house stood because they really had the love of God. You guys know this, right? And it doesn't take a rocket scientist to realize that m the reason our nation, which is such a beautiful nation, 
is struggling so much is because the families are falling apart. The reason our nation is so messed up is because they've turned their backs on God. And that's why even a book like the Song of Solomon can make a huge impact because it's intended to bring us to this place where love is real. And so that way, when the storms come and when they hit hard, that we'll be able to sustain it. Like, like you know, if I could just be like a little transparent because I don't know the future, but, you know, my wife and I, you know, we're, we've been married for 29 years and we've gone through uh, some difficult times. But I'll bet you almost anything in the next year, two years, three years, five years, whatever it might be, that I'll bet you some more intense hurricanes are going to hit our life. I'll bet you because it's just the way it is. And so will we survive those storms? Is dependent on what we do now as we're getting ready for it. That's what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 7, 24 and 25. If you guys hear these words of mine and you don't do them, then one day when the storm comes, you're going to fall. But if you hear these words of mine and you do them, it's like you build your house on a rock with a solid foundation, the best materials, and when the winds and the waves and the storm beat on your house and on your family, you'll stand. Because it wasn't just a religion for you. It was a love relationship between you and God. You really know him. You really love him. You really want to serve him. You really want to follow him. And when the storms come, you're going to stand because you've given your life to Christ. You know, what, what's the craziest storm of all? What would be the, the worst storm of all in, in one sense? Is when you die. When you die. And that, that's a big question too because will, will you stand before God? Will you be able to stand forgiven? The only way is if you have received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You know he loves you, he died for you, he rose again and you have given him your life. This is what this love relationship is all about. Notice what he says in verse 7 again. Many waters cannot quench love, nor can the floods drown it. If a man would give for love all the wealth of his house, it would be utterly despised. As one person said, the point of this verse is that true love cannot be destroyed and true love cannot be purchased with money. I've tried it. I remember my girlfriends in the past. I tried it. It didn't work. They broke up with me. It's crazy. <laughs> you know, you, you, you got to know this, that love, it says in 1 Corinthians 13, 8, it never fails. You can't say, well, I used to love you. Now I just kind of fell out of love. It, that's not true love. True love, it, it never fails. And so he says, listen, it, it never it fails and, and it cannot be bought. Like I said earlier, love is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. That's how we can love each other. Even today, like if you're here and you know, you're listening to a Bible study and God can use the Bible study to say, hey, I need to learn how to love more. You know, I, I take care of myself. Like when I'm cold, I'll put on a jacket. If I'm hot, I'll get in front of the air conditioner and, you know, so maybe if 
it's cold, maybe I should say, hey, sweetheart, do you have a jacket? Or if um, it's hot, hey, do you want to sit sleep by the air conditioner or the fan, whatever, tonight, you know? If I'm hungry, I'll just go into the kitchen and start making myself some food. But, but what about the thought, like, I wonder if she's eating. I wonder if she's hungry. Well, that's a woman's job. Ooh, who said that? You guys are in trouble for thinking that. <laughs> no, I mean, just you're loving them and you're learning to think about them. And that's what we need to have. That's what happens when God gets into your heart and you just start, it's, you know, you start loving people. It's the fruit of the Holy Spirit. It's like a tree. You put a seed down there, you plant it, water, and it just grows and it bears fruit. And so uh, vacations, stimulations, declarations, tribulations, identifications, all these are part of what God uses. A couple more things and then we're done. Number six is preparations. Because look at verse eight. We have a little sister and she has no breasts. What shall we do for our sister in the day when she is spoken for? If she is a wall, we will build upon her a battlement of silver. And if she is a door, we will enclose her with boards of cedar. And basically, what we're seeing here is as the brothers, this, now we're looking back when she was younger. And so when their sister was young, they planned among themselves how they could best prepare her for marriage. And I thought that was cool, you know, because you want the parents to be part of it. You want even the siblings to be part of it. It says right here, if she was a wall, meaning that she was chaste and pure, they would adorn her with treasure and reward her for her chastity, for her morality, for her spirituality, you know, commend her for that, right? Um, Life would be easier, the battle victorious. But it says right here, she was a door that was just kind of swung open. In other words, if she was one of those girls who were loose or they would flirt with guys, then he said right here, then we would restrict her freedom as if having these, you know, barricade boards of cedar. And so they wanted to be able to make sure that their sister was one that a, a good guy would want to marry. That's kind of the way they're, they're thinking right there. So there is aspects of preparation involved. Uh, but the Shulamite ended up waiting on the Lord. She waited for love. Look at verse 10. I am a wall. In other words, I am going to be waiting and my breasts like towers. She had matured. Then I became in his eyes as one who found peace. Solomon had a vineyard at Baal Haman. He leased the vineyard to keepers. Everyone was to bring for its fruit a thousand silver coins. And so here we see she waited until she was married and she grew up and matured in beauty and, and shapeliness. Now it's interesting how it says right here, then I became in his eyes as one who found peace. So when he was looking at her, this is kind of the way he perceived her. She has found peace. I tell you what, for a guy, that's what you want for your gal. Man, I hope that she is blessed. I hope that she is blessed. I think about that sometimes. I'm like, Lord, one day, you know, if you take me first, I'm not sure how it's all going to work out, but I hope that my wife will be happy that she married me. You know, and that's the way that we want to be that. So uh, she found peace. And it's an interesting thing too, because the, the Greek word, do you guys know what the, I mean, the Hebrew word for Greek, for peace is? Do you guys know what it is? Shalom. Who said it? Good job, Rudy. Okay, shalom. Do you know what the Hebrew word for Solomon is? 
It's very similar. It's Shalomo. So it is a kind of a play on words. Like when he found, when she found him, Shalomo, she found peace, Shalom. That's what happens when you meet the right guy. God will give you a peace in your heart and for your life. It's very important. And so we read in verse 12, my own vineyard it is before me. You, O Solomon, may have a thousand, and those who tend to its fruit, two hundred. Verse 13, you who dwell in the gardens, the companions, listen for your voice. Let me hear it. In verse 14, make haste, my beloved, and be like a gazelle or a young stag on the mountains of spices. You know, when, when you look at this right here, it's interesting how they're just going back and forth, the, the Shulamite to Solomon and the beloved you know, to her. Um, so much here, um, as one of the things that was interesting is how they were, did you guys notice how they went back and thought about when, when they met, when they were first together, um, how God had done this work? I, I will say this, that there is a place in your relationship to remember the beautiful things that God has done throughout your relationship. You know, you hold on to them. You know, you go back into those contemplations and maybe you can put a picture up. You know, you never forget your honeymoon. You never forget that special getaway. And God's going to be doing different things in your life. You know, it's pretty cool to be able to look back and then just to have these exchanges. I, I love what he says in verse 13. You who dwell in the gardens, the companions listen for your voice. Let me hear it. Here's a husband telling his wife, I want to hear you. I want to hear what's in your heart. Because most of the times, husbands, we're not like that. We're like, man, she talks a lot. We might say that, right? That's how some guys are. And this husband right here is just like, I want to hear what's in your heart. Let me hear. I want to hear you. I want to I know you. I want to share, you know, I want you to share your heart with me. We should have that. You know, as guys. And so early in the book, she had told him, you know, go away like a, a stag. Run away because we're not married yet. We're not married yet. So we got to keep our boundaries. And so you better not be here because my mom and dad are not here. You know, that kind of thing, right? You got to go away. But now she's saying, run to me. That's what she says there in verse 14. Make haste, my beloved, and be like a gazelle or a young stag on the mountains of spices. And that's more intimate than you might realize. But like I told you guys before, before you get married, the devil will tempt you to have sexual relations, but you got to wait because you'll ruin everything. God will forgive you. But if you're here and you're, you're looking forward, please don't, don't fall in that area. So he'll try to you know, tempt you to have that intimacy before marriage. But God will forgive. God will restore. Don't let the enemy condemn you. Because I know this is something that's very common in the world that we live in. But, but, but then when you get married, it's an interesting thing. Then the devil will tempt you not to be together. Not to have that relation. Because he knows, God knows, we should know how important that is. And so before getting married, she's like, go away. 
And now that they're married, she's like, you know, let's be together. And I think that's so important that we have that understanding of how this works. It's interesting how they have different code words for each other. I think husbands and wives will do that. You know, the Bible Knowledge Commentary says this in closing. The Song of Songs is a beautiful picture of God's endorsement of physical love between husband and wife. Marriage is to be a monogamous, permanent, self-giving unit in which the spouses are intensely devoted and committed to each other and take delight in each other. And they spend the rest of their lives not falling in love per se, but growing in love. And that's what we want as husbands and wives and, and as Christians. You know, one of the beautiful things about having a relationship with God, you guys, and I want to make sure I share this before we leave, is that he, he forgives us of our sins. You know, everything that we've ever done wrong, he paid the price. Do you guys know that? It was nailed to a cross. And so when you come to Jesus, he washes away all your sins. So I do want to say this. Don't let the enemy condemn you. When God looks at you, if you're a Christian, he sees no sin. No sin. You know, but now as we go forward in our relationship with him, I pray that that type of forgiveness, that, that type of love would, you know, would make us love him back. Did you guys ever have a time in your life where you liked somebody and they didn't like you? You're like, many times. <laughs> I remember in high school, you know, and Shelly, forgive me for saying this, but I'm sure there were, you know, girls that I, you know, I, oh, I wish, you know, be with them or whatever you try and it just doesn't happen because they're just not interested in you, right? And that's how it is at the end of the day with God. He is madly in love with you. He wants to have this deep and personal and intimate relationship with you. No question about it. He loves you so much that he gave his son. The only question is, do you want that? Do you want that? Do you love him? Will you love him back? And that's really, I think, what this is all about. We're talking about vacations, so make sure you get away. Stimulations, you try to find out what makes your spouse happy. Declarations, like, hey, my beloved is mine and I'm his. Tribulations, you're going to go through difficult times, but you know you keep your eyes on the Lord. Identifications, you know who you are, and you set their seal on the heart even on the arm, preparations, getting ready for marriage, but then contemplations, and that is going back memory lane and seeing how God puts you together, things like that, and the special times you've had together. But then the last one is salvation. If I could just say that, salvation. That nothing is possible unless you first are saved from the power and penalty of sin. And so if not, if you don't know where you stand, then I pray that today you would give your life to Christ.